Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Money Girl Podcast. My name is Laura Adams. I'm a personal finance expert and award-winning author based in Austin, Texas. I've been producing this show since 2008, and my goal is simple, to help you master your money so you can live rich and love the journey. Each week, I bring you an interview, a listener Q&A, or cover a topic from a wide variety of important financial issues, like saving more money spending less, investing for retirement, building credit, managing debt, insurance, real estate, money mindset, and a lot more. Recently, I received several requests for information about HELOCs, which is short for Home Equity Line of Credit. So if you're a homeowner, or maybe you want to be a homeowner someday, this show is for you. This is a really important topic that you don't want to miss. HELOCs are one of the most flexible and least expensive ways to borrow money when you qualify. So today you'll hear my interview with Mike Kinane, who's a mortgage and HELOC expert. We cover a lot. We cover the main pros and cons, plus a lot of the nitty gritty, pretty much everything you need to know about HELOCs, like the difference between a HELOC and a home equity loan, how much you can borrow using a HELOC, what banks are looking for to approve you today in a tighter lending environment, What to do if you're applying as a couple and one spouse or partner has good credit, but the other has poor credit. We talk about the surprisingly low fees and rates for these products and a tip to get an even lower rate. We talk about rules for claiming a tax deduction on the interest that you pay. This is something a lot of people don't know that you can do. We cover what to know about having a HELOC when interest rates are rising like they are right now. Some things to watch out for. And we cover a lot more. This is episode number 496 called Expert Advice About Getting a Home Equity Line of Credit. Okay, here's my interview with Mike. Mike, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. I thought maybe we'd start out by you telling us a little bit about what you do and what's your relationship to HELOCs, which are home equity lines of credit that we'll be talking about today. Sure thing. Good morning, Laura. So um, uh, what I do is I'm the senior vice president in charge of consumer lending for TD Bank which uh, uh, I have a responsibility, a large part of my responsibility is home equity uh, products for our customers. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work in uh, home equity lending for almost 29 years. So uh, I've had a lot of experience in this product um, and various roles at a few different banks, and uh, I'm excited to share what I know with your listeners. Yeah, great. First of all, let's define what a HELOC is and maybe how it's different from a home equity loan, which is sometimes known as a second mortgage. What are the major differences between the two? 
Right, sure things. A lot of similarities between the two, but the key difference between a HELOC, which is, stands for Home Equity Line of Credit, and a home equity loan is that the HELOC is exactly what, what, what it sounds like. It's a line of credit, a revolving line of credit. You can think of it like almost like a credit card. Um, you can uh, purchase something on the, the HELOC and then you can pay it down to zero, but you still have the line of credit uh, available to you for a next purchase. So the convenience and flexibility of a HELOC make it very attractive to a lot of consumers because um, of the fact that when they're doing a remodel job or they're uh, fixing a roof, etc., they don't need all the money right away. Uh, they may need to pay their contractor or builder over time, and the HELOC allows them to only utilize uh, the amount that they need right then and there, and then they can pay it off if they need to. I got a HELOC on our home in Florida. Uh, I'm in Austin, Texas now, but when we were there, we bought a home that needed some remodeling and repairs. So we used a HELOC to put in new flooring and really just had it as a safety net as well. And um, I'm actually still making payments on that HELOC. We have that house up for sale now that I'm no longer in Florida. Our tenant finally decided to move out, so we're, we're selling it. But I certainly enjoyed that HELOC and knowing that that, um, that line of credit was there for me if I needed it. And I certainly never tapped out or maxed it out, but for me, just gave me some, you know, I, I guess gave me flexibility and gave me the ability to think about, okay, if I really needed uh, to pay for a big unexpected expense or if I wanted to do additional home repairs or improvements, it would be there. But we also used it for other things not related to our home. So talk a little bit about the types of things that you can use a HELOC for. Sure thing, and that's you bring up a great point, Laura. The, the 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 home equity line of credit product, if used appropriately, um, and I think what you see nowadays is a lot of very good usage uh, and the right reasons to borrow on a home equity line of credit, is the fact that it is a uh, it can be used as a reserve line of credit. You can borrow responsibly, but you don't need to have it only be for uh, home improvement or remodeling. You can use it a lot for many different things, for funding a child's uh, college expenses to consolidating higher interest rate credit card debt, et cetera. So there's a number of things that consumers can use the home equity line of credit for. And what I like about the line of credit product in particular is exactly what you said. We've got consumers who use it occasionally, use it for the right reasons from a standpoint of it's an improvement on the house or they need to fix something, uh, then they pay it down. But the, the line of credit is there for those large, maybe unexpected purchases that a consumer needs. So um, and, and the critical difference between what I see in borrowing today versus what happened in the industry, say, 10, 12 years ago pre-crisis was a lot of borrowing going on at that point was used to uh, fund uh, lifestyles or speculation on home values. Um, and, and that's always a bad idea uh, in mass. Uh, so what you see now is a return to basics. Consumers are very smart about their borrowing. And quite frankly, lenders are a bit more conservative in their underwriting. So what you got now is very smart borrowing going on. 
Great. Let's talk a little bit more about the underwriting requirements. So if I'm a homeowner, how much equity do I need in order to qualify? And what other things are lenders looking at, like credit and uh, you know job history? What else do we need to do in order to think about getting approved for a HELOC? Yeah, great question. Because I'm in the business so long, um, I tend to forget that when consumers are just starting to look at this product and they've never had an experience with it, it, it can be a little daunting and intimidating. But it's fairly simple in terms of how much you can borrow. Uh, banks will look at the home value, so how much is the home worth, and they will deduct out of that uh, the first mortgage amount. So uh, let's use an example. If a home is worth $200,000 and a borrower has a $100,000 first mortgage on that, you have um, potentially available equity up to $100,000. However, banks typically don't like to go up to 100% of the value of the home. They'll typically go up to 80% of the value of the home. So if in that $200,000 example, uh, if the customer has a first mortgage of $100,000, they typically will be able to borrow about $80,000 um, to use for you know various reasons, as we stated before. And then secondly, let me talk about the, the credit piece that you mentioned. Um, so banks have, have tightened up since the financial crisis, and I think a, a lot of uh, the right tightening up. Um, you typically look at what you would expect, so job stability, in terms of uh, how much money is a consumer making, is the household making, uh, how long have they been in the, in the job, is the, is the salary uh, or income variable, or is it uh, uh, consistent? Uh, is it a self-employed consumer versus a, um, a wage earner? So all those things take into consideration. And then we obviously look at the consumer's past payment history on other credit uh, products, and that's typically through credit bureau, credit scores, et cetera. Uh, we like to see strong stability and uh, a lot of uh, good payment history for consumers because even though this is a secured product, so the line of credit is secured by a home, really banks aren't in the business of trying to foreclose or trying to collect on or, or kick people out of their homes. What we want to do is make a loan to the right person, and that right person will borrow prudently and pay pay the loan back. So we're always very careful, and we've been much more careful as an industry over the last 9, 10 years. A question that often comes up, Mike, is what a couple should do if one of the people has poor credit. You know, one of one person in the couple has great credit and one has maybe not so great credit or fair credit. How should couples handle that kind of situation when they're applying for a HELOC? And maybe this applies to mortgages as well. Yeah, a great question. And I can probably cover that with more for mortgages as well. So if you do have a, a couple, because a lot of our home equity products, our uh, customers are applying jointly with their spouse. And we do occasionally see uh, instances where uh, one spouse has not so good credit and the other spouse has good credit. The first thing I recommend to your listeners is absolutely go and talk to your bank. Um, we at TD are very good about giving advice. Our folks in our stores are and on our phone uh, channels are educated to help consumers understand uh, what they can do and what they can't do. Uh, so the 
talking to the store is the right first approach and be very honest. Say, look, I've got a situation where my spouse has got great credit, but I myself don't have, I don't have great credit. What can I do? Um, banks will typically be able to steer you in the right direction. Now, what it possibly could do uh, is limit the amount of money that you could potentially borrow. So um, instead of in that prior example that I gave, $80,000 on a $200,000 home, it may be limited to $70,000. So the bank's being a little bit extra cautious on the property uh, to compensate for the potentially higher risk of one of the, uh, one of the borrowers. Um, but it always works to start with the conversation. I definitely agree with that. I think a lot of people kind of want to put their head in the sand about issues and think, oh, you know, maybe if I don't say something, nobody will notice. And the reality is you you can't avoid that. There's so much information about you that the credit bureaus are going to be very clear about what your history is and what your pros and your cons are as a borrower. So that's something that you can't hide from. And I think being upfront and honest about it is definitely the best approach that's going to get you um, get them to help you get them on your side so they can help you. Absolutely. And I, I do want to mention something as well. So I think, and this is kind of over the last 10 years, uh, banks and in, in, in TD, I know we, we do do this. Uh, not only will we help you understand whether you can be approved or what level of borrowing you can do based on that, but if we can't help you at that time, we can educate you about what you need to do uh, about about borrowing and payment history in order so that we can get a loan to you. So that's the thing I think that's the critical difference here is that uh, a lot of institutions, banks, financial companies are, are very big on trying to educate consumers on, on how to get good credit. Um, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, we want to be able to give loans to our customers. That's what we're in business to do. Uh, and we found that educating them on how to get good credit is just as important as giving them money. Talk about typical closing costs and any ongoing fees or uh, maybe future costs that could come into play if you close an account. What sort of expenses can consumers anticipate? Yeah, great question. And I'll start with a standard response to that line of questioning is that consumers, when they start thinking about a home equity and they're ready to apply uh, I recommend that they clearly go through the details of the loan, including any fees and the interest rates charged and the terms. That's it, it, It's extremely important to do because you're entering into a fairly large uh, contract that lasts for a fairly long time. So consumers, I urge your listeners, if they're thinking about home equity lines of credit, to make sure they understand all the terms. Now, specifically around uh, home equity, there's a few common uh, fees associated with the product. uh, And then there are other things that are specific to some institutions or some products. I'll start with the commonality. So uh, traditionally, home equity lines of credit come with some form of an origination fee. Uh, and, and the interesting part about that is that the origination fee is very, very small uh, compared to mortgages. I'll give you a great example. A home equity line of credit, if you want to borrow $100,000, uh, home equity line of credit, uh, typically that cost will be a $99 fee. All the other fees 
on an appraisal fee, an underwriting fee, et cetera, will be paid for by the bank and not passed along to the consumer. So it's actually a very, very economical and, dare I say, a little bit cheap way to borrow a large amount of money. If you tried to borrow money um, on a cash-out refinance on a mortgage, you're going to end up having to pay the appraisal fee, the uh, underwriting fee, and all the associated fees uh, that you would have because the mortgages are traditionally passing through all those uh, costs to the consumer. So that's number one, the the origination fee. It's out there, but it's a fairly small amount. Uh, Number two, uh, a lot of lenders, including TD, we do uh, charge a fifty dollar um, annual fee, so it's a fee that's charged uh, every twelve months as long as you have the loan uh, for the access uh, to the loan. So that's and again, that's a fairly nominal amount uh, considering that the upfront costs are so so low. Um, as far as prepayment fees, uh, quite honestly, I'm starting to see a lot less of those um, in the industry. Uh, partially due to Dodd-Frank, partially uh, just competitiveness, but uh, we're seeing less and less in terms of uh, fees charged to consumers if they leave uh, uh, or they close the loan within a you know a two or three year period. So those are starting to go away, which I think is actually a good thing for for consumers. Hey there, I want to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts. Freakonomics Radio. Every week, host and best-selling author Stephen Dubner dives into the hidden side of business, economics, and so much more. He interviews CEOs, historians, and Nobel laureates to explore all kinds of topics, like why the best employees can make the worst bosses, and how whales went from being economic engines to environmental icons. If you're a curious person looking to better understand the world around you, You'll find everything you're looking for on Freakonomics Radio. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Mike, what are the typical rates right now or range of rates for HELOCs? And I'm assuming most of the products that you have are variable rates. Yeah, great question. So uh, you're right. The HELOCs are variable rate. Uh Predominantly in the industry, and this goes for our bank as well, uh, the rates are based on the prime rate that's published in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, that prime rate, uh, you know, has been historically low over the last, uh, uh, gosh, nine years now. But uh, that rate is variable. So as prime moves up or down, the consumer's rate will move up or down. And that is a very important point to understand as a as a consumer that the rates that you uh, are going to be charged potentially can go up as well as down, and that can impact your monthly payment. So it's very important for consumers to understand that and um, account for that in terms of if they borrow uh, uh, $50,000, what can happen if the rates go up a quarter point suddenly. Um, number uh, To directly answer your question, so our rates are typically between... I'd say three and a half percent and five percent, and a lot of that is dependent on a few very uh, important features of the of the loan. Number one is how much are you going to borrow? All right. So if you borrow more, typically uh, banks will charge you a bit less. So that's important to understand. Uh, the loan to value. So that example I gave you before um, uh, in terms of borrowing 
$80,000, the lower the loan-to-value ratio or the percentage that you're borrowing as compared to the uh, value of your home, that also will impact your rate positively. So the lower rate will happen if you borrow um, uh, loan-to-values that are lower. And number three, credit, obviously. So if your credit is great, uh, banks typically give you a bit lower rate. If your credit is not so great, banks will typically charge you a slightly higher rate. So all three of those factors come into play with a few other ones to mix in. If you open up a HELOC, are there any requirements that lenders typically put on you for having an additional account, let's say, maybe requiring you to also open a checking account or also Uh, requiring a credit card with you? Yeah, great question. Um, No, so there's no typically no requirements. Um, But I will tell you, because this is a very competitive space, a lot of institutions will try to incent consumers to have more than just the home equity line of credit. And I'll give you an example for us at TD, uh, for a home equity line of credit, we will give the consumer an extra 25 basis points off of the rate if they have a deposit account with TD. Um, so that's a huge incentive. If you think about it, if you're borrowing 50 or $100,000, 25 basis points in rate is, is, can be a, a large sum of money. Um, and, and we want consumers to have more of a relationship with the bank, and we try to incent them to do that. So we don't require it, but we make it attractive enough for consumers to uh, think about banking with, with TD, and that goes for other institutions as well. Yeah, that was a requirement or a a benefit to the HELOC that I have, and it was just having a $50 balance in a checking account. So even though I am not banking with that company for everyday checking, you know, as long as I keep that minimum balance there, I'm getting the benefit of the lower rate. So it's a pretty mm-hmm. easy requirement, and that checking account is there if, you know, I wanted to to start using it. Let's talk a little bit about the benefits, kind of pros and cons that consumers should be thinking about. I mean, certainly we've covered a lot of the best reasons to do one, the flexibility, the low cost to get into a HELOC. Um, what about other benefits like avoiding PMI if they're purchasing a home? Yeah, great question. Uh, avoiding PMI has been a very common practice for second mortgages, in particular HELOCs, for a number of years, going back 20, 30 years, uh, because private mortgage insurance can be very expensive for customers that don't have a large amount of money to put down for a house, but they make a, a good living. They have great earnings uh, and they have great credit. Um, so home equity lines of credit are a great way to avoid paying private mortgage insurance uh, in a low-rate environment like this. Uh, it can make uh, great economic sense to do, uh, as well as being able to use that line of credit if you pay it down for other purchases and like uh, uh, um, uh, remodeling, like we said before, or uh, debt consolidation. So the flexibility of the line of credit is there for other things that you need in addition to avoiding the private mortgage insurance. So a lot of people call that an 80-10-10, where you're borrowing uh, 80% for your first mortgage, you're getting 10% from a HELOC, 
and then you're coming to the table with a 10% down payment. So that could be a way to structure it so that you've got that 20% equity, you've got, you know, uh, only a a loan-to-value ratio that's low enough so that the PMI or private mortgage insurance isn't a requirement. So yeah, I think that's a, a great benefit. And another benefit is tax deductibility. So with a HELOC, there are some similarities to the mortgage interest deduction that allow you to deduct the interest on a HELOC for a loan up to a million dollars on any type of expense that is related to the home. So maybe that's improving, putting a new carpet, a new roof, remodeling. So you get that interest deductibility. But I think what's really neat about the HELOC is that even if you don't use the money on your home, if you use it, let's say, for a vacation or to pay for your kid's college, you still get some deductibility, but it's at a much lower level. So you've got a a deductible interest amount on the loan up to $100,000. So uh, a much lower amount, but for many people, that may be all they ever need to take. And then those amounts are half of that if you're married filing separately. You could get a $50,000 deductibility or half a million deductibility if you are looking at doing a remodel. So that's a huge benefit, um, but I think it's just important for people to remember that if you're not spending it on the home, there is a cap there. There is a limit. You can't just get uh, deductibility on interest on a loan amount over $100,000 if you're spending it on something unrelated to the home. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Mike, let's talk about some of the pitfalls. What are some common uh, maybe problems or things that consumers should avoid when it comes to HELOCs? I mean, tell us a little bit about worst case scenario if you can't pay back the loan. Yeah, great, great question. So I'll talk to you about uh, a couple things that consumers should be doing to avoid any pitfalls. So education is key. I I can't stress that enough. Learn about and research what home equity lines of credit are and, and how they're structured generally. Talk to your bank. Talk, the lo- your local bank uh, will, if they offer home equity lines of credit, are happy to talk to you about the features, the benefits, the pros and the cons. Um, what we do see with consumers, and this is very interesting to me when we do a lot of this research, is consumers generally think that home equity lines of credit and loans can only use, be used for uh, home-related uh, activities. And like you said, it's not the case. You can use it for um, a lot of different things um, in terms of uh, funding, college tuition, buying a car, etc. Uh, the pitfalls with this product is it is access to a very large amount of credit. But it is credit, and it needs to be used responsibly. Um, I think where you get into some bad situations is where consumers uh, need or are using it for things that are not uh, necessary or they start to use it for everyday living and they find out that they run the, the line of credit up to the maximum amount and then they've, they're, they're in a situation where they've got to figure out how to pay it down. Um, it, a lot of that gets avoided uh, in the underwriting process when a customer opens up a loan. So past behavior of, of uh, 
how you pay bills and how you handle your credit are good indications of how you're going to handle them in the future. So we're able to underwrite consumers appropriately up front and make sure that we're, we're getting good quality consumers in the door. Education is the key, although uh, at that point as well, so that when we're talking to consumers when they take an application, we are explaining to them what happens with the line, what happens with the loan. Um, like I said before, the last thing a bank wants to do is take over somebody's home. Uh, and we're not in the business to foreclose on properties. That's not our job. Our job is to lend money to consumers for the reasons that they need to borrow. And hopefully what happens is that if we do our job correctly is that the consumer will pay it back. So we try to really limit, um, uh, and all banks do, uh, you know, uh, the, the risk in this portfolio by prudent underwriting up front. Where we do get into situations where the, the, the consumer circumstances change, and you know, because of a job or because of uh, a divorce or et cetera, uh, and we've got a situation where a consumer's not handling their credit properly, we do have to get into um, situations where we are working with the consumer to determine whether there's a workout opportunity. So can we figure out a way to um, help the consumer with payments until they can get back on their feet? And if there's just no uh, way to do that or the consumer is not cooperative, then you move into uh, situations where we do need to foreclose. I'm happy to say that Right now, in this uh, industry in home equity, both the number of consumers not paying on their home equity lines of credit and the number of and percentages of loans that we're actually foreclosing on is at an all-time low. I mean, we're talking uh, basis points on on portfolios now, so it's a very, very, very small number, as it should be. These are very good loans, very good credit, and we try to make sure they're given to customers that are going to pay it back. Um, but in those rare instances where we do have consumers that run into a rough patch, the first thing I would recommend, and I sound like a broken record, Laura, is if you do have a situation where you've lost your job, the first thing you should be doing is talking to your bank and figuring out if there is some type of workout opportunity for you. Banks will want to work with you because, like I said, we don't want to own properties. We want to we want to lend money to consumers and make sure that uh, they have the ability to pay it back. So number one is always talk to talk to your bank. Mike, what about rate hikes? We're in an environment right now where interest rates have been creeping up slowly. Is that something that consumers should be wary of when it comes to getting a HELOC? Or is this kind of just par for the course and rates are historically low, still low right now? So should consumers uh, take that into account at all when they're thinking about whether they should get a HELOC or not? Yeah, great question. I've gotten this question quite a bit from consumers uh, and others uh, recently, especially since uh, since the rate hikes happened over the last few months. Uh, number one, and I think this is very important for everybody to understand, is that rate hikes are actually reflective of a very healthy economy um, and a very confident consumer. So the Fed moves the short-term rates up because they're getting data about the U.S. economy that is very positive. That's a good thing from a consumer standpoint. Home values are going up. Jobs are are, are uh, continuing to rise. Jobless rates are going down. So rates going up are actually very good 
And it's not bad. Yes, are you going to pay a little bit more than you did a year ago on a home equity line of credit? Absolutely. But generally speaking, consumers are a making more money, their homes are worth more, et cetera. So there's a confidence level there. Number two is I do expect rates to go up over the next uh, few years. I mean, you were pretty much as low as they could go for a number of years. So we all knew what goes down must go up a little bit in terms of rates, and that's happening today. I don't think consumers need to be alarmed about rate increases. Um, a number, I'll give you a couple of reasons. Number one, consumers uh, need to understand that banks will underwrite their application, factoring in some rate increases happening because we want to make sure that we stress the loan and the consumer's ability to pay back the loan at a higher rate scenario than we're at today because it is a variable rate. So. Uh, consumers can be confident that banks are trying to underwrite it so that we are looking at a higher rate than what the consumer would be paying today. But that doesn't uh, mitigate the fact that consumers need to be well-educated about what rate increases mean to their monthly payment. Uh, and I'll give you a great example. about If a borrower is uh, uh, borrowing $50,000 on a home equity line of credit and, a, and the rates go up a quarter percent, that actually translates into roughly 11 or $12 in monthly payment increase that that consumer will see every month. So every quarter point is about 11 or 12 bucks a month. And consumers need to keep that in the back of their mind uh, so that they can handle it. But generally speaking, Laura, um, rate increases are good for, good for the, are reflective of a great economy and a very confident consumer and a confident borrower. Let's wrap up with a few tips that you can give us for shopping for a HELOC. What should we do in terms of getting quotes? Should we get multiple quotes? How should we approach the whole shopping process? And and maybe where can listeners find out more about your company? Number one, do your research. Uh, Typically, what we find is uh, a lot of consumers, uh, they have a need. It could be, uh, let's use a remodeling job. And home equity lines of credit are typically something they don't think about until very late in the game when they want, uh, they've selected the builder, et cetera. So it's good to do the research early on financing options. Uh, and I'd start with uh, going online. Uh, the web and Google are powerful tools to research the different home equity lines of credit opportunities out there. All all the major banks offer them. They are slightly different in terms of terms and rate structure. Uh, So I would suggest starting there. Number two, talk to your own bank. Talk to the bank that you have your deposit relationship with because they will likely have a home equity line of credit as well and potentially, like we talked about before, give you a bit of a rate break because you do have that existing relationship. Number three, I would go out and get a couple of different quotes from different uh, banks and lending institutions just to to, uh, compare, do a little bit of uh, comparison shopping and figure out which one is right for you. Number three, just make sure you're you're comfortable with the amount of money that you're going to be borrowing. So just because a bank says that, uh, Laura, you can borrow a half a million dollars doesn't mean you need to take out a half a million dollar line of credit. Make sure that you're comfortable with the level of borrowing you've got, ultimately. That's, that's a true key uh, point to, to bring across to your listeners. Terrific. If they're interested in learning more about TD Bank, uh, where should they go and get this process started? 
Yeah, I appreciate that. So TD Bank, we are along the East Coast from Maine to Florida. We have 1,300 wonderful stores that are looking to wow our customers every day. Uh, and uh, we are happy to help those customers in any way possible for making products. We are a top 10 bank in the United States and in the world, as a matter of fact. And we're excited to um, deliver the, our wow service as America's most convenient bank. Mike, thank you so much. This is really great information. I appreciate you sharing your expertise. Well, great. Thank you. I appreciate it as well. I really hope you enjoyed this interview and can take away some information to use now or in the future. Having a HELOC can be a really smart way to borrow from your own equity when it's done responsibly, as we mentioned in the interview. As I mentioned, I have a HELOC on one of my rental properties that used to be my primary home in Florida. When the real estate market bombed, when it dropped after 2008, I was underwater on that property due to the HELOC mainly. Instead of selling it as a loss when I left that property and moved to California in 2013, we just turned it into a high-end rental. And now that home values have more than rebounded in that area, I'm well above water. But the balance on that HELOC is still going to take a big bite out of my profit on that property when it sells. So that's something you have to keep in mind. If you have an outstanding HELOC balance and the value of your property goes down, you might have to pay cash out of your own pocket if you're forced to sell the property. So only take out a HELOC when it can improve your overall financial health, like making home improvements that are going to increase the value of your home or paying for education, which will help you earn more. I don't recommend spending HELOC funds on things that don't appreciate or that won't help you earn more, like on a vacation or furniture. So using a HELOC wisely is the key. If you're enjoying Money Girl, let me know by subscribing for free and taking a minute to submit a quick five-star review on iTunes. And to keep the money conversation going with a terrific community, join my private Facebook group called Dominate Your Dollars. To request your invitation, visit Dominate Your Dollars on Facebook or send me a text message for immediate access. Just text DOLLARS to the number 33444. I'll see you in the group. You can also visit lauradadams.com to email me your money question, your feedback about the show, or ideas for future episodes. I love hearing from you. That's all for now. I'll talk to you next week, courtesy of Money Girl, your guide to a richer life. Oh, 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 oh,